0: Welcome to the MAR Experience. My name is Matt Shedd. When it comes to embodying the joy of recovery, it's hard to beat Rita Garland. A MAR graduate and now long-term staff member at our Women's Recovery Center, Rita is the first face our women clients see when checking in. She walks us through her own process of change, from being an all-day, everyday drinker, to reluctantly checking into MAR, to playing a central role in our clients' treatment experience. When when did you come into MAR?
1: 2005. It was actually um, just a couple of days after my 45th birthday. Okay. Yeah. So it was uh, late January
0: okay, of two, 2005. Okay. So take us back there. Tell us a little bit what was going on for you. Had you been to treatment before or what what led up to you coming into MAR?
1: No, I had never been to treatment Um Of course, like, you know, anybody else that's been through this, I I didn't think I needed, didn't even know what it was. You know, I had um, for years been suspecting that, you know, I was an alcoholic, but I didn't even want to believe that I was in such denial until the very end when I was so sick that I was sick if I drank and I was sick if I didn't drink. I was non-functioning, you know, I... um, had tried even without telling my kids a couple of times because I didn't want to let them down again. But by the third day I would always crash and give in. It was that third day. No one had ever mentioned detox to me, um, you know, and I didn't realize that uh, what I was going through was severe, even deadly withdrawals sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, but I always knew. I was like, why can't I, if I can make it through that third day, maybe I could do it, you know. Um, But I went from, a binge drinker, very functional mother. I uh, love my home. I love my kids. I love my husband. I, ha- I always had a good job, um, and from but when I drank, I always drank too much. Mm-hmm. I never remember having just one, mm-hmm. and but it got to the point where if I was awake, I had a beer or something, um, because I felt like I was coming out of my skin if I did it. Mm-hmm. you know. And I was barely getting a, a, my daughter to school on time, you know, just not enjoying anything anymore and that was I was hurting emotionally mentally and physically but that spiritual my spirit was gone Mm -hmm. and that was really scary I was afraid I would never be able to smile again you know and um I just felt so empty and I just had a feeling that everybody would be better off without me so um Anyway, that's where I was at, Mm -hmm. very broken. My husband always traveled, but then, um, you know, there were problems in our marriage like everybody else. And my way of handling, I guess, started with the drinking, sometimes during the day to relieve anxiety, but it turned into an everyday, all-day thing. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that it would get to that point. I always thought, well, if it gets that bad, I'll just stop.
0: Yeah, right. And
1: not realizing that, you know, uh, and, and the shame and the guilt, Mm -hmm. You know, because I'd always been kind of independent and done a lot of things on my own. And I thought if I was a decent person, I could do this. Mm -hmm. You know, I would be able to just stop. So I'm a terrible mother. I'm a terrible everything. You know, um, I don't even need to be around, you know, Mm -hmm. ridiculous things like that. And, um, you know, let alone the fact that by then my kids were seeing it enough and it was really hurting them because they had watched me you know, from being their mom and having them involved in stuff and everything to being just non-functional, you know. Um,
0: So how long had it been that you were drinking all day, every day?
1: Probably my early 40s. Um, My drinking picked up a lot in my late 30s. Um, But in my early 40s is when it got to the point um, that – I was drinking during the day like I, would, I was having like anxiety and kind of panic attacks. I had some surgery, so I was way out where I lived was way, way out. Mm-hmm. My driveway was a mile long. I was the only one back in there, and I loved that about my home. I loved that, but it turned on me because I would hide. It's mm-hmm. a real good place to hide, you know. Um, so with no accountability, um, and not really know what was going on with me or my marriage. It, it was real easy to pick up a drink during the day mm-hmm. to relieve that anxiety feeling. And, and, you know, after the surgeries, I was isolated even more. And um, I guess on a pity party, you, you know, and I didn't think I was employable anymore. All these bad things went through my head all the time. So, um, but my early 40s was when it really started to be every. Day every evening at least, and then it wasn't long to escalate it escalated to every day, every morning. Every mm-hmm, you know,
0: mm-hmm. I
1: didn't have a night or day. I didn't have a a structure in my life. I didn't.
0: So about like five years yes, or so, a yes. pretty solid yeah. chaos. Yes, so yes. So what was the? How did it work with you actually being convinced to come to Mar? What? How? How did that? Was there an intervention or?
1: Of sorts, you know, and looking back, God intervened on me a lot of times Mm -hmm. that I didn't even realize it, you know, and I always believed in God, but I didn't know how to have faith, I don't think. I had in mind that, yeah, I need help, you know, and I was going to tell my husband that, that, you know, I realized that I couldn't do it on my own, but then he had something else planned and he was gone for a year, and so I was waiting for him. I thought, well, if he comes home and kind of stays Helps me, and we can work this out, then mm-hmm. I can do it. I can't yeah. do it. I was thinking I couldn't do it without him, you know. And, um, but then I realized I had to, you know, um, that my kids deserved at least for me to try and that I deserved it. So I had a plan. Um, I went to detox thinking that was treatment. Mm. Stayed five days the first time. It was only the second day that I was back home by myself, same situation as before, that I. Drank. Um, And then I thought I was a real failure because here I had been to treatment, and I was drinking again, you know. So um, I had totaled my uh, car. I rolled it over into the river, actually, and um, so I didn't even, you know. So
0: your car went into the river? Oh, yeah. And you were in it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: I took a power pole and four trees and then rolled over into the river. And um, it was a Sunday morning. I just thought I would go up to the river. I didn't think I was drunk, you know. Um, and I rolled the car, a big Ford Expedition, rolled it over. And I just remember thinking, gosh, I hope I don't hit that tree or that pole or whatever. Next thing I knew, you know. Wow. Um, yeah. And then so I was laying there on my side looking up at the sky. The airbag had busted. So I thought the car was on fire. And I just thought, well, this is it. This is it, you know. And, um, of course, saying my prayers. And, um, so a young man, this was God to a young man who it was his first day as an EMT at Stevens County hospital in Tacoa was on his way to work early that morning. He saw the trees down and stuff and he got out of his car and looked down in there and saw me. Otherwise nobody would have ever seen me for a long time. And, And he came down there, and then he called authorities and, you know, the ambulances and all that. And fortunately, you know, I might have injured my neck some. It wasn't broken, a few bruises, but, you know, I was really, really lucky to be alive. And then the car was completely totaled, but I thought that would help me stop drinking. I even told my daughter, I said, I will never drink again, you know, and begging her forgiveness. And and even that... By the third day, I couldn't stop stop drinking. And so then I really felt like a failure. I thought, I'm I'm never going to be able to do it.
0: And you didn't understand that you had a disease, that you were...
1: No, even though I grew up with an abusive alcoholic Mm -hmm. father, he was functional sometimes. You know, he worked a lot. But then when he wasn't working, he was drinking and he was... I'm being drunk, and I thought I'll never be like that. Mm-hmm. And even back then, I thought that he was doing that on purpose, wow. like that he just didn't like us, you know, um, because he wasn't the nicest person when he wasn't drinking, you know. But I just knew that I wasn't like him, and I never would let allow, allow myself to think that I might be an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Plus the stigma and the shame. I was buying books and reading them, and I was – thinking all this stuff, but I wouldn't let anybody else know that.
0: Wow. So you're at the mercy of this brutal disease. You, you roll your car into the river, which must have been terrifying. You think, okay, I'm done. Mm -hmm. You tell your daughter, okay, this, this time for real. And you start drinking again. Mm -hmm. What, what happens next?
1: So I went to detox again. I got a phone call from um, my daughter at the, um, and my niece at the At the hospital, Anchor Hospital, saying, you know, we know, we heard about this ninety day program, Mar. You know, it's for women, um, and you stay there, you know. And at first, I was like, no, I think I can do thirty days, just going somewhere once a day. And Mm -hmm. so my daughter's like, Mom, please try it, please try it. And I didn't think I would stay; I didn't fit in. It was my thing. As soon as I got phone proof, I just called my son. I said. You know, you're going to have to come get me. I don't fit in here. And what? here I still am here like 14 years later.
0: <laughs> so that was immediate. You walked through the doors of Mar and you felt like, I don't, I'm, I'm in the wrong place. I'm, yeah.
1: Yeah. I felt like every, all the ladies that they all knew what exactly what they were doing. None mm. of them couldn't know been where, you know, and I felt stupid. You know, I don't like that word, but that's how I felt. Uh, the counselors intimidated me cuz i saw these people functioning mm-hmm. as i wanted to and i i thought they've never surely they've never been in addiction And mm-hmm. couldn't find out some of them had not everyone but I'll, some of them had my counselor in particular shared his story with me which was huge for me because mm-hmm. i never pictured i was like everybody else i had the stigma picture of what an alcoholic woman Mm. Was and I, I knew I didn't want to be that, but I didn't think I would ever function as they were functioning and as I had before. Mm-hmm. So, um, so immediately, and then, and then having isolated and been on my own so long, I didn't see how living with four other women was going to help me or how I was going to help them in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, okay, I'll stay a little while, but I'm not going to talk about, you know. Uh, I'm certainly not going to talk that young man who turned out to be my counselor. Because <laughs> he was so young and uh-huh. never could understand me. He wound up being my therapist and oh, wow. saved my life. So anyway. Um,
0: wow. Show us how little we sometimes how little we can know about what we, we actually really need.
1: Absolutely. You
0: thought you needed the opposite of all that.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I still... Uh, there was a part of it I could do on my own mm-hmm. if everybody just leave me alone. You mm-hmm. know, and that was yeah. the totally not what I needed. Yeah, right. And I didn't need to be out at my house anymore. You could not have told me that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, and so my son actually took me to But But anyway, when I called him after I got phone privileges, he said, no, um, we got you down there, but I'm not coming to get you, you know. And um, I'm glad that he didn't, mm-hmm. you know.
0: So that's probably like two or three weeks in, right, when you finally get to talk to them. Mm -hmm. And you're still feeling pretty uncomfortable at that point, like you're not.
1: Yeah, I felt like everybody there, uh uh, and I've always had that looking back as a child, not fitting in, not being good enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's so many things in life that I missed out on because I didn't think I fit in, you know, Um, and that's. Uh, kind of symptomatic of most addicts and mm-hmm. alcoholics, especially yeah. the ones that have had traumatic past, um, mm-hmm. home lives when you're children. I didn't think my childhood had anything to do with the way I was or my insecurities or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to help the ladies by encouraging them with that.
0: So when did that start to shift or change? When Were there moments, were there a few moments that you remember where you're like, okay, wait, maybe this is okay. Maybe I am in the right place. <laughs>
1: Um, it took a little while because I didn't realize treatment was going to be like them calling you out on your stuff or mm-hmm. being confronted. Conf- confrontation was a big fear of mine. You know, I, I, I didn't confront people about things. I didn't want anybody confronting me about things, you know. And so that really scared me. Um and I and I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings by confronting them, let alone what if I was wrong. But so it took a little while, but we, we actually went to the lake one Saturday, Friday, I mean. And I don't know, it was so much like where I'm from. It just felt really comfortable comfortable to me. And I didn't think I was going to go to a treatment and get to go to the lake. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I just felt calm that day. Mm-hmm. And Matt uh was there, my counselor, mm-hmm. and um He made us all feel very comfortable, and actually, I don't know, something he said and some of the other ladies, I just felt like I really fit in. Mm. Like I was... You know, I finally fit in. <laughs> Is
0: that Matt Irwin?
1: Uh-huh. So that's the first day I got comfortable. We were out at the lake and I even caught up with him and kind of smarted back to him about something and he said, It's about time. <laughs> you know, so um I was afraid he was gonna get mad at me yeah. and he actually encouraged us. You so took said, the
0: risk of, of yeah. <laughs> yeah, of being yourself and <laughs> yeah. then Yeah. That's yeah. that's how it seems that's what I keep hearing over and over again. It's yeah. Like someone you finally start to it takes a while yeah. for once the people get here because you're so used to having your guard up, but then you take a risk on being yourself and then you find that you're you're welcome. So. Yeah,
1: and you miss your family. I missed my kids so bad, but I was not doing them any good the way that I was, mm-hmm. you know, and they were glad that I was here. But, you know, a lot of folks want to leave because of that. They think, oh, I'll be okay now. I need to get back to my family. But that's not the case most of the time. Mm. You don't need to get back to your family right now, you know. Yeah. Um. So I accepted it as it was. And... um. And, you know, from then on, even at the center and groups and stuff, I started to open up. I felt like, um, and I listened to other people more and their experiences, the other ladies. And I realized they didn't already know everything either, you mm-hmm. know. And then new people would come. So, of course, you start wanting to help them. And, you know, there's a cycle there, mm-hmm. you know, it's true.
0: So you found the group started changing for you once you. Mm-hmm had that connection.
1: Once I allowed myself to fit in and yeah. just be myself yeah. and not expect anything more of myself than being myself. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, you know, it happened and it it was amazing the way hearing the stuff and let alone work you know, working through the steps and the just all of it helped me realize I was human again. Yeah, um, you know, I am somebody. I'm worth it. I can do this. It's the first time I had hope. Mm. So,
0: that's a you can't beat that feeling. No, no. hope coming back in for the no, first and time. And it
1: felt so good. To, I can tell you the first time that I laughed in oh, yeah. a long time a real belly laugh, yeah. you know. And it was one evening with my community. Uh-huh. You know, we were going to the uh, church nearby. They were having this women's thing. Anyway, I laughed so hard. My cheeks were sore <laughs> the next day. And that was a good feeling.
0: <laughs> what was it about?
1: We were, we were going, they were having like makeovers and stuff <laughs> and we thought we, well, one girl thought we were going to sneak over uh-huh. there and anyway, somebody else said, no, you better call and ask permission. So uh-huh. she did and they allowed us to go. That's actually where I met my sponsor, not knowing that she was in the program. Oh, wow. And I thought, that's such a nice lady. And right. next thing I know, a few weeks later, I saw her at a meeting and she was my sponsor for 10 years. But, um... Yeah, so it was a lot of fun, uh-huh. you know, and we laughed and made fun of each other oh, and just wow. really cut up a lot, and it was amazing the what that laughter did for me, you know.
0: That's great, and I I'm glad you brought that up because that leads into another thing I want to talk about or ask you about. That it seems like so much of the therapy at Mar is what you're doing kind of in that downtime too of Mm -hmm. like with the women you're living with so what was that situation like coming from living on your own a mile up the drive you know Uh away from the road even totally isolated to being in close quarters with four other women uh, it was
1: scary it was scary and I didn't see at first how in the world that was going to help me and everybody was um, complaining about this or that you know and Going to the grocery store, there was an argument. All this stuff, I was like, how is it, you know. But then I saw that there's therapy in all of that. And all the rules are there for a reason. They may see, um, seem elementary at first or, like, make no sense, but they're all there for a reason. And that's where you start learning to um, have some kind of structure in your life. Um, and to it actually helps your mind um, readjust to making decisions mm-hmm. at the time, they seem like small ones. You know, you do the right thing, you do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Well, your mind has to, you know, learn all that again. Oh so.
0: wow! So have you seen that now with with women that are coming into oh, treatment? Yeah, absolutely, they have to go through all that that process.
1: Yeah, and a lot of them do not like the rules. They think they're ridiculous, and uh-huh. I get that. You know, yeah, I get. I get how, especially young people, I can mm-hmm. see how. But once they accept why it's there and that it's not just someone trying to. Pick on them, Mm -hmm. you know. um, Once they accept that and they follow the rules, that's when they start feeling good and you know, listening and
0: right. And I like how you said that too. It's like your brain has to get used to that again of making decisions because when you're active in your disease, you're just. Yeah, there's only one priority, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're not you don't have to weigh decisions and right.
1: And yeah. you're having to actually, uh, let alone communicate and live with these women. You're having to to listen to them, and you learn um, to care about them, mm-hmm. and that their stories are sad. You mm-hmm. know, um, a lot of them worse than mine. You know, mm-hmm. and you start to really have that empathy. And so you're not so self-centered.
0: Yeah. You. So did you, f- you stay for the full 90 days?
1: I actually stayed um, almost a year, but it's probably more like 10 months, I believe. I was going to go on home, and my daughter, um, who was 17 by then, actually uh, was a counselor at summer camp where she had been before. Mm-hmm. So she was going to stay up there. And so uh, uh, staff and everyone had talked to me about three quarters um, because I had been at it and isolated for so long, going right back home after 90 days, even though that is better treatment than 30-day programs now, it's a lot mm-hmm. better. I think I needed that practice mm-hmm. with that and, and that uh confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh staying a while gives you a little more confidence. You're surrounded still surrounded by your support network. You have a little more freedom mm-hmm. but still accountability and a safe place to go at the end of the day to talk about, you know, um temptation of using or mm-hmm. how your boss treated you or you know, it's good practice.
0: Yeah. So for for our listeners who might not know how MAR works, so can you explain a little bit about that? Like, there's a so we have the 90 day program, but then there's an option to stay longer. How does how does all that work?
1: Um, yeah, if you do, you know it's a 90 day minimum, so 90 days is definitely necessary. But if you cho- choose and want to stay longer, they do have the uh, three quarter program. So, of course, some ladies have to stay longer; mm-hmm. they're mandated to stay a year, or whatever by the
0: court or yeah. Whatever. And then
1: other fit. There's other women who have little babies at home, you know, and they have to get on home. Um, Hopefully they will stay connected Mm -hmm. and come to our aftercare programs and stuff to really help them and the new people, and they usually do. But um, for me, uh, just staying and not going back to my house right then alone was huge. And, I, you know, I had went back to work. I said I I work as hard as I could. Just don't put me around a bunch of people, and they – me to the mall mm. that, you know, yeah. so I was around a bunch of people. That's where I got a job, you know, and um, and it was great to be around people again. Mm. And, you know, um, and the job itself was well suited for me. It had hardwood floors, a lot of nostalgia mm-hmm. or apron. So it was fun. But anyway, um, where'd you work? Uh, it was an experimental store of uh, Yankee Candles oh, called Old okay. Farmer's Almanac. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Um, gotcha.
1: Lots of candles. I bet it smelled good. It did. Homemade <laughs> gems jellies. But anyway, it's not there anymore, but it was a great experience for me. Even the the part of getting out and going through the interviews, doing the applications. I had done all that when I was young, had some good jobs, but I was so out of it that right. I needed that um you know, I needed to learn all that again. So
0: that's something that I run into a lot on the phone with people that are are calling for. Usually, people that are calling on behalf of a loved one. They're saying, "There's no way that this person can get a job." Right. Like you don't. So, can do people usually find jobs?
1: Yeah, they do get jobs. You know, uh, some we've had many ladies get their career started. Actually, in halfway they would go. Uh, work somewhere, you know, for part-time. I think it's 30 hours a week they can Uh work and and then build up. And the next thing you know, they're running the place, you know, or going back to school. I love it when the young ones go back to college while they're still at Mar um, or even when they leave, um, you know, to kind of, because a lot of them have dropped out or whatever. A lot of times they'll do that, you know. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they meet their love of their life and get married and have babies, Mm -hmm. you know, never thinking that they would have found all that. Through coming to treatment, right? You know,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I keep seeing that when people come in, they think, "Oh, all that's over. I'm never going to work again. Right. I'm never going to have a family. Yeah, I'm not, you know, that they think my life's over. Right. And that, so it's so powerful to watch that light come on, and that, yeah, uh, they
1: think the addiction is who they are, and that's all they're ever going to be, and mm-hmm. that. That's how they're just going to have to live. They accept it almost, mm-hmm. and you don't have to. There's mm-hmm. so much, I mean, and our ladies are talented. I'm amazed at the artistic uh, ladies that come in, uh, the well-educated, but there's so much creativity and intelligence that they don't even know they have sometimes. Mm-hmm. sometimes you know? Yeah,
0: right, right. So you're, you're working, are you pretty much working full time at that point when you're in after, when you're in the aftercare program or the three quarters?
1: Yeah. And I had, I had gotten another job, a place called Georgia Backyard across Uh from the mall and it wound up being more full time. So I wound up for a little while, worked both jobs, but then I went over to the other place full time and, um. Yeah, and um, enjoyed working there, too. But And I stayed through the summer. And my daughter was starting her senior year of high school. Uh-huh. So I went on back, and we got an apartment. I did go back to my house just to get a few things. And I'm, I am I still miss my home. I loved my home. Uh, we remodeled it for five years. It was an old home. I lived in the basement. You know, had an apartment down there, and we gutted it, remodeled it. I mean, and my heart was there. But, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't go back there. So I went— um, My daughter and I got an apartment, and I was determined I wanted to spend her senior year with her Um, so we would have that time to Mm -hmm. hopefully – because they always knew where I was because I was at home drinking, Mm -hmm. and I kind of justified it with that. At least I'm not out running around, blah, blah, blah. But it was just as bad. But they knew where I was, but I wasn't really there emotionally for Mm -hmm. her for a couple years, even though I loved her dearly. And uh, so we did have an opportunity to mend our relationship and – uh, it wasn't always easy, mm-hmm. and it's still not always easy. Yeah, but um, but yeah, and I, so I went back home then and got a job, mm-hmm. you know, and went through my divorce while I was in three quarters. So that's another thing. Mm-hmm. I was really glad that I was at Mar during that process. Mm-hmm. Um, really glad. Otherwise, I don't know. You know, I just don't know that I would have made it as far as I did, because mm-hmm. um, that can be very painful and intimidating, and um.
0: How did being in Mar help with that? The support. Mm-hmm. The
1: support and that um knowing that these people who I admired now saw something in me and I knew that I was worth something, you know, and that because divorce can make you feel I I, I won't go into all that, but it's very painful anyway, mm-hmm. but let alone when you believe everything the other person's saying that's really not even true, but you've taken it on like, yeah, I am worthless, you mm-hmm. know, um, because of what I am now in the alcoholism, but then you start remembering, hey, I hadn't always been like that, mm-hmm. you know, and the support of the staff and the ladies, um and sometimes advice even, um Just knowing somebody that people cared Mm -hmm. and that were willing, uh, like one of my counselors, um, Kendall, uh, even went to the court with me for my divorce hearing. And that even having somebody there with me was huge, Mm. huge, let alone someone that I looked up to and that I respected. And here I am, you know, having been so disrespected and I've got this respectful person with me who really cares about me. She wasn't just there for the job, you know, but Mar employees really care about what they do. That's, and you can tell that.
0: That's a thing that I've been really moved by since working here, is seeing counselors go to court hearings, to mm-hmm. cancer treatments, to, you know, bedsides at the hospital, to just right. being there for funerals. For, yeah. Yeah. And driving, sometimes driving four hours to take right. someone to a hearing in another state. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, a
1: counselor went with me the first time I went to my home to retrieve a few things, mm-hmm. um, you know, to bring back down to my apartment for three-quarter. Um, and even that, I mean, that was huge. Number one, I didn't expect it. But had I went out there by myself, uh, things might have been a little different. Had my, Who knows? I might not even made it back mm-hmm. for three-quarters. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know. But just knowing that somebody cared enough to do that and that they really believed in me or saw something in me. It started making me believe it, yeah. you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got to kind of hear hear it from other people first before. Yeah, yeah I and, totally and, get that.
1: And sometimes you got to be brought down a few notches before yeah. you build back up. I'm not saying that they, they don't have to call you out, right. or, you know, or... Because that's part of the therapy is mm-hmm. learning, you know, um, and nobody's perfect.
0: So when when did you start getting back involved in MAR in terms of working or did, did it start as volunteer or how'd that go?
1: <laughs> Pretty much. I stayed connected. Um, I just felt like MAR was kind of my second home anyway. And so when I moved back where I'm from um, – and my daughter was in school about the same time she met who the guy who is now her husband. They have two beautiful daughters, my granddaughters. But at the time I had just gotten home and I'm like, here, she starts getting serious with the guy. He's intruding on my, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but he's a wonderful guy. But anyway, that was just the way it was. And her being a senior in high school, she was really involved with a lot of stuff and driving, of course, working herself and then her boyfriend. So, I would drive down here once a week and um, go to spirituality, meet with Matt, sometimes Kendall, and visit with the ladies. Um, and that was like my day. My day, You know, mm-hmm. I take off. I made that my day off work. Mm-hmm. And I would come down here. And um, I was connected even more with Mars as far as helping out and, and, and sponsoring ladies and stuff. So one day the phone rang. And it was Karen and Kendall and asked to meet, said they were going to have this position. They wanted to try. Would I be interested? And I was actually on my way to my sponsor's house. I had to pull over on the side of the road. I was, like, freaking out. I was like, this is not happening. Because I never thought about working there. I just didn't think I could, yeah. you know. Even administrative, I never, never even asked, you know. I mean.
0: And what was the position that?
1: Administrative assistant. Um, yeah. I thought they would put me in a little office in the back um, and I would be doing <laughs> some of the driving and all, but then they say, No, you're sitting up here at the front desk at the window. I'm like, What? You know, I just, it was, I never had expectations of exactly what it was going to be. I was yeah. just honored and pleased that I would get to be around Mar. And so I didn't have expectations of exactly what I would be doing or mm-hmm. where I would be sitting or anything, you know, it yeah. didn't matter. And um, so, um, yeah, and they were very welcoming, the ladies. I, at that time, I knew some of the ladies because I had been volunteering. So that relationship gradually changed because I was now an employee. and You mm-hmm. have to have a little bit different boundaries. You have to,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you can't be everybody's buddy, You know, because it doesn't help them.
0: I think that's a perfect position for you because Karen, she was the second guest on our podcast, Uh the second episode, and she said she remembered when she came into Mar. I saw Rita and she was just so happy to see me and so welcoming. So that's, I think that's just a great position for you that you're there. So what's one thing you would pass on to people listening?
1: To people who are listening, especially if you are considering – that you might need help or um, if you're in that position of needing help and afraid to ask, afraid to reach out, um, if it's not fun anymore or you think that, oh, I can do this by myself, you know, don't do it for yourself, at least try it. There's so many things that we miss out on because we don't at least try it, you know, and if you're to that point where there's no hope, Um, and families are hurting, you know, I mean, do it for you. Don't wait on somebody else. Don't do it for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great if your boyfriend's gone on treatment too or whatever, but don't do it for him. It's great if he's supportive, but you have to know that you're worth it Mm -hmm. and that your life is special, you know. Um, And... Follow the rules. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, but
1: I can honestly say treatment is whatever you're thinking it is. If you've never been to treatment before, whatever you're thinking it looks like, that's not what it yeah. lo- looks like. It's not what you're thinking.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that was perfect. Thank you so much, Rita, for Thank sharing you. your story. That was so great. Thank
1: you. I'm honored you asked me.
0: All right. Thanks for listening to the Mar Experience. The executive producer for our show is David Tate. If you want to stay in contact with us, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We also have a lot of free resources, videos, and articles all about the disease of addiction and how it affects families on our website at marinc.org. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.